Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Hebrews. The New Testament book of Hebrews and Hebrews and chapter number 6. The book of Hebrews and chapter number 6. We've been traveling through the book of Hebrews and exploring how it talks about Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is better. And the way of Jesus Christ is the better way. It is the better plan, the better program. He's a better picture. He is better. And as we go, we're almost taking a pause, a pit stop, just to put attention on a verse that we find in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 6. Now, I'm going to give you the context, but we're going to hit the verse here, and we're going to explore from this verse um, some other things found in the Bible to give you some encouragement. But if you don't mind, let's start with the context. The, gospel, the book of Hebrews, chapter number 6. The book of Hebrews, chapter number 6. And for context's sake, let's go ahead and start in verse number 4. The book of Hebrews, chapter 6, and verse number 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing that they crucify themselves, the Son of God, afresh, and to put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs meet for them, by whom it is dressed, receive blessing from God. But... That which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation through we thus speak. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Hebrews chapter number 6? The book of Hebrews chapter 6, and notice with me in verse 9, the phrase, things that accompany salvation. Things that accompany salvation. And with the Lord's help, we want to encourage you with this idea of the things that accompany salvation salvation. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we approach this very encouraging message, we're asking that it would encourage your saints, that it would encourage them in all the things that you have provided for them when they came to know you as personal Savior. I'm asking that it would be clear, that it would be easy to understand, that it would be greatly encouraging to all of these folks, that they would be drawn closer to you because of it. Now, again, I don't want to get in the way of anything that you want to do. So I now surrender myself to you. Fill me with your precious spirit. And that you, once again, do a wonderful work through your precious word. In your name we pray. Amen. Things that accompany salvation. Now, the context in the heart of this is that 
in the immediate passage, he is saying that, guess what? You can't lose your salvation. He goes through and says, it is impossible for those who once were enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good work of word of God and the powers of the world to come. Now here it's talking about that those who have tasted the heavenly gift, those who were once enlightened, those that were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, those that have tasted the good word of God and the powers to the world to come. He's talking about that as a Christian, we get to experience, we get to see these things. But it says, but if they fall away. And that phrasing there, it's carrying the idea that if you could somehow lose your salvation, think about this. If someone who trusted Jesus Christ as their personal savior. That, what does that mean? That means they came to the place where they realized that they were a sinner. And because of their sin that they have offended a holy righteous God and that they deserve to go to an awful place called hell. But they realized that Jesus died for them and that they personally accepted Jesus as their savior. It's saying that if someone who truly got saved somehow was able to fall away or lose that salvation. Notice this. To renew them again unto repentance, seeing that they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. So it's saying that if you were to somehow lose your salvation, to get salvation again would require that Jesus died for you again. And that can't happen. When Jesus died on the cross, he died once and only once. Once and for all to give salvation full, free, and forever. And it says it is impossible for someone who got saved to become lost. To become not saved. To lose that gift that God gave us. Because in order to regain that salvation would require that Jesus died again. And he's not going to die again. It was done once and for all. And you say, are you sure? Well, notice as it gives this illustration in verse 7 and 8. For the earth which doth drink it in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed receiveth blessing of God. So imagine a field. And this field has been blessed of God. So the farmer goes out, stakes out the land, and he works it. He plants crops, and God brings the sunshine, and he brings the rain, and God blesses it, and crops grow, and great fruit comes out of it. And you know what? It's evidence that there was good soil there. It was evidence that God did a work. But notice as it does a contrast in verse number 8. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and nigh unto cursing whose end is to be burned. So it's saying, all right, let's take another field. And over time, it's going to be evidenced whether it was blessed of God or not. And so if thorns and briars come up, if none of the crops come up, but instead thorns and briars, well, then that field is no good. And all you're going to have to do is burn it because it's not there. Here it's giving kind of a semblance that at the very beginning, anyone can make a profession without having a possession. We all know people who could act the hypocrite. The word hypocrite means to be an actor. That's what the root word. And there are people who learn the lingo. They learn to say the words. They learn how to carry their Bible. They know how to look good. But looking good doesn't tell anything about the heart. 
there is someone and what it's doing, doing a comparison that someone who was in church and they did the right things. Maybe they even taught a Sunday school class. And the next thing you know, they're living like a heathen. That's not evidence they lost their salvation. It's evidence that they didn't have the right field. That they weren't saved in the first place. So this is what it's talking about. It's saying that you can't lose your salvation. But over time it's going to be revealed evidence to others. Whether they were saved or not. For example, my wife and I know of a family that they were faithful in church. The husband uh, wanted to clean the church. And it was all the stuff the kids were brought in. And today... The family's in divorce, and the mom and all the kids are professing witches. Did they lose the salvation? Did something happen? It's evidence that they made a profession, but they didn't have a possession. We all know people. Unfortunately, that brings a bad testimony to the church, but it's not. it was evidence that there was something wrong in the first place. This is what this passage is saying here. But notice as it brings it back to the encouragement. The emphasis is not on those that lose the salvation. Notice in verse 8. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. Meaning, there's more things that God has planned for you. There are wonderful things that God has planned for you. Don't worry about those that have fallen away. Don't worry about those that want them. Don't even worry about, you know, losing salvation. You know what? There are better things for you to worry about. There's better things to enjoy. We are persuaded better things of you. What things? And things that accompany salvation. Through thus we speak. You know... We think about the time that we use our brain power on. A lot of times people use the brain power on, may we say, the negative things. Can you lose your salvation? And they have people who have big fights. Can you lose your salvation? And so they bite, they put big doctrines. They put big papers together uh, trying to justify someone losing their salvation. Okay, someone could spend a lot of time. But you know what God would rather us spend our time on? Looking at all the benefits we get for being saved. Isn't that something better to put your brain power on? To think about all the wonderful things I get because I'm saved? Rather than trying to put a discourse together of what could happen if I lose my salvation and all this. You understand, a lot of times we put emphasis on the negative. When we could be enjoying the great things that God has for us. But isn't that like humans? We look at the prohibitions. That's how Satan got Eve sidetracked in the first place. You can eat out of all the trees here. But Satan said, but what about that one? You can't touch that. God's not good because you can't touch that. So the next thing Eve is doing is thinking about what she can't have rather than all the things that she has access to. Isn't that typical of how humans think? So instead of thinking about all the horrible things and the people that fall away and the people that discourage us, let's take some time tonight to see in the Word of God all the things that accompany salvation. That when we get saved, meaning we come to the place where we accepted Jesus as our Savior and He's forgiven us of our sins, that when we get forgiven of our sins, that's not all we get. 
But there are other things that accompany this salvation. And so if you don't mind, let's walk through the New Testament. Just hit a bunch of passages. Um, we're not going to return back to Hebrews, so you don't have to keep your finger here. This is going to be just an extra topical message. But let's look and see some things in the Bible of the, what we get when we get salvation. Let's start at the book of Romans chapter number 3. The book of Romans chapter number 3. So when we get salvation, what all things accompany it? What all things do we get when we get salvation? Notice with me, if you don't mind, the book of Romans chapter number 3. The book of Romans chapter 3, and let's look at verse number 24. The book of Romans chapter 3, and in verse 24, notice what the word of God says. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so the first thing that we see here, what is one thing that we get when, that accompanies salvation? We have redemption. We have redemption. That word redemption is a classic word that carries the idea to buy back. It was actually coined and put together during the Roman period. And if you remember during the Roman Empire, 75% of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. And so slavery and the terms that went with it very much went into the common language. And so the word redemption means to buy back and it carries the idea of going into a slave market and actually purchasing someone. Well, Jesus Christ with his blood purchased our price for the wages of sin is death. But Jesus paid that price with his blood. And when we got salvation, we got redemption. He purchased us. Now that covers a lot of things. We could spend several messages talking about what happens when we get redemption, but we're twice bought. He was, we were created by God and then we were purchased by his blood. We're twice owned. He bought us. We can never be sold into sin or slavery ever again. We are purchased by him. He owns us. He has bought us. He has freed us. He has carried us away from that old life. He has purchased us. We have redemption. Our price is paid in full. We'll never owe God the debt of hell ever again. Those things are all wrapped up in redemption. What a beautiful word that is. And that's what we get. Not only did we get salvation, forgiveness of sins, but alongside with it, we got redemption. He paid our debt. He now owns us. Again, if you want to understand what redemption is really pictured like, you go back to Hosea chapter 3, which we'll preach later on this year. But remember, in Hosea, Hosea had a wife by the name of Gomer. And she left him. And she cheated on him, committed adultery, went into a horrible lifestyle. She wrecked her life despite Hosea's efforts to care for his wife. Even when she was cheating on him, he was still caring for her. And finally, in Hosea chapter number three, there is Gomer, naked, exposed on the auction block, not worth the full price of a slave. 
Her life is ruined. Her body is destroyed. And her husband, Hosea, purchased her in her used up, sin-riled condition and brought her back home. This is redemption. This is the exact picture of redemption. That God created us and we left Him. We ruined our life in sin. We wrecked everything. And yet He loved us enough. He bought us to Himself again. Because He wanted us to be with Him forever. What a wonderful thing. The love of God. That not only did he purchase us, but why he purchased us. He loved us. And by the way, while, <laughs> while we were still in sin, he commendeth his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We weren't a great catch. We weren't the greatest thing. We were used up and abused. And he bought us anyways. We got redemption. Notice as we go on in the book of Romans, chapter number 8, we see another thing. By the way, this list is not comprehensive. This is just on a surface list. We could go a lot longer and all throughout the Bible seeing more things that accompany salvation. But I just want to hit some encouraging points tonight, some highlights. Notice with me in the book of Romans, chapter 8. Let's see something else we get that accompanies salvation. Romans, chapter 8, and, um, and verse number 1. Romans 8, starting at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So what do we get here? What do we accompany salvation? We are free from the law of sin and death. We are free from the law of sin and death. Oh, we're thankful for that. We are no longer under condemnation. Jesus Christ has forgiven us of our sins. We are no longer under the law of death. What does that mean? Well, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. I am no longer walking around with a death sentence on me. I am no longer walking around condemned by God. But notice this, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For those who have not accepted Jesus as their Savior, sometimes they can't help to sin. They sin because they are sinners. And they can't help it. But as Christians, because of the Holy Spirit empowering us, and because we're freed from the bonds, we no longer have to sin. Now, as a Christian, anytime you sin, it's because you choose to. But the highlight I want to give you is that you don't have to sin. That gives us such hope. One of the hopelessness of lost people is that they keep finding themselves in sin over and over. and They can't break it. Now they may be able to change some habits, but they can't stop it. They're under that bondage. They keep going back to it. But as Christians, we're freed from that. We're no longer bondaged by it. We're no longer chained by sin. We're no longer under the penalty of death. We no longer have to sin. We can depend on God's spirit to help us not to sin. 
That's a great privilege that we have. We are free from the law of sin and death. As we move on, notice with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, one of my favorite passages in the word of God. Let's get a good running start here. Ah, let's hit verse 17 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter number uh, 5, verses 17 through 21. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us, to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead be ye reconciled to God. For he that hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In this passage we learn we have been reconciled. We have been reconciled. Notice how many times that word reconciled is used within these few verses. Verse 18, who hath reconciled us. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, reconciling the world. At the very end, given us the word of reconciliation. Once again in verse 20 at the end, be ye reconciled to God. This word reconciled carries the idea of bringing two parties together in agreement. When we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, not only did He forgive us of our sins, but now we can have fellowship with God. These two parties have been satisfied and they can fellowship together again. They have all the terms, everything that was separating God and us have been wiped away. Remember, what is the whole purpose of why God created man in the first place? For fellowship. But what broke that fellowship? Sin. But when Jesus Christ died, he died to satisfy the payment that needed to be made. So there is nothing between us and God anymore. We can go to him and be reconciled. We could once again fellowship with God. Imagine that. May we even put it this way. You know what God wants most of all? He wants friends. He wants someone to be his friend. And now because sin is no longer in the way, we can, if we want to, if we choose to, have fellowship with God. And may I even say have a friendship with God? That's a benefit we have. No other religion can boast that they could be friends with their God. You cannot be friends with Muhammad. You cannot be friends with Allah. You cannot be friends with Buddha. You cannot have communion with Confucius. You cannot speak to Joseph Smith. You cannot have fellowship with any of those other gods. With a thousand gods of Hinduism. You cannot have fellowship. Biblical Christianity is the only one. That tells us because of what Christ has done, we can have fellowship and may I say friendship with God. Because of reconciliation, he has brought these two parties back together and they could be together. 
This is why reconciliation has made such an emphasis. That we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. What's our ministry? We're to bring two parties back together. God, let me meet Sam. Sam, you can meet God. And by the way, Jesus has paid the price. You can fellowship with God. Would you like to meet God? Would you like to be? Yes, you can. By the way, how's he given us to do this? By the word of reconciliation. He's given us the word of God. And through the word of God, we can show someone how they can have peace with God and peace from God and how they can be with God. You know, one of the things that is missing in normal Christianity, what people are missing out on most of all is this fellowship that we can have with God. So many Christians are going around, they're saved, they're legitimately saved, but they treat it more as fire insurance rather than taking advantage of the things that accompany salvation. We can spend time with God. We can be with God. We can have fellowship with God. We can even be friends with God. Oh, what a wonderful thing that accompanies salvation. What a great privilege we have because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Notice, if you don't mind, as we continue on, look to the book of Galatians. If you're in the book of 2 Corinthians, just turn over to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter number 4. The book of Galatians chapter number 4. And notice with me, starting at verse 1. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors unto the time that is appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come... God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if, uh, if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. What do we see here? We are adopted as sons. What a great benefit that is. That Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, just didn't wipe our slate clean. That's a great privilege and I'm thankful for that. But that's not all. He has adopted us into his family. We are co-heirs with Jesus because we are adopted as one of God's children. And everything that Jesus would inherit, we get to inherit because of this co-heir. Because of Jesus, God adopting us in the family. What a great privilege that is. And of course, being a son, we're no longer a servant. We have a different relationship. Don't, you, don't people treat their children different than they do their employees? Well, of course they do. There's a different relationship here. If the employee went up to the boss and says, Boss, I really have some needs. Uh, can you uh, buy me a car? The boss isn't going to go for that. 
but boss, I mean, I'm having some hard times. Uh, can you buy me a new wardrobe? I, I really need clothes really bad. Uh, but you know, if my children come up to me and say, dad, my clothes are falling apart. I've got holes in it. Can you provide for me? Well, I'm kind of obligated to because I'm the parent. It's my job to take care of them and to see their needs taken care of. We have a different relationship. When we go up to God, we're not going as an employee to my boss. I'm going to my father. That's a different relationship. I have a lot more that I can ask of my father than what I could a boss. That's something I get when I... That accompany salvation is I'm adopted as a son. I have a different relationship with God. I can go Abba Father. This word Abba Father carries the idea of daddy, daddy. It's not father. It's daddy. I love it when my daughter calls me daddy. There's that intimate relationship there. There's something there. It's not a distant. It's something familiar and close. Daddy, daddy, we can be that close to God because we're adopted in the family. Oh, we are adopted as sons. Now, again, this list can go on, but let me give you some more. Notice with me in the book of Ephesians. So if you're in the book of Galatians, go to the next book, the book of Ephesians. We're looking at things that accompany salvation. That when we get salvation, we just don't get forgiven of sins. But there are a lot more that goes along with it. Notice with me in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Notice with me in verse 6. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Accepted in the Beloved. Oh, what a great privilege it is. You know what this means? That God accepts you. One thing that people always are looking for is acceptance. And they'll go find acceptance from anyone they possibly could. You take an abused person who's been abused by their parents. They'll go into wrong relationships just hoping that that person would accept them. But God accepts you for who you are. That God just doesn't love you. He likes you. And he likes who you are. You are accepted. What a great privilege it is. You know it is amazing. How many people because of the way that they grew up. And the circumstances. Don't like themselves. When they look at the mirror. They can't stand to look in the mirror. Because they don't like the person looking back at them. They don't like how they become. They don't like their personality. They don't like the flaws that they have. But let me tell you, God likes you all. You make him smile. You are accepted. That is a wonderful thing to be accepted. What else do we get when we get salvation? Well, notice with me in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and notice with me in verse 18. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 18. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. What do we get when we, that what accompanies salvation? We have access 
to the Father. We have been given access to the Father. We can go to God anytime we want. Sometimes people imagine because I'm a pastor that I have a secret access to God. That I have a, a red bat phone that has a glass case over it. Or I get a special calling card, 1-800-PLEASE-PRAY. Or I get some type of handshake or some type of thing. But you understand, if you are saved, you have as much access to God as I do as a preacher. We all have equal access to God. You could go to God and talk to Him about anything and everything. What a great privilege it is that we can go to God and we have access. As we go on, let's quickly hit the book of Colossians. Now again, I could put a huge list. I'm just putting some highlights. Maybe something you want to go back and just be encourage yourself in. Look at all the things that we get when we get salvation. Things that accompany salvation. Notice with me Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And notice with me if you don't mind in verse 13. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. And hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Notice this. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. One of the things that accompany salvation is that we have been delivered from the power of darkness. Oh, what a great privilege it is. In fact, we have been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. We have a different boss. We have a different leader. We have a different person who's in charge of us. I'm so glad that I'm no longer under Satan's dominion. I am no longer under Satan's power. He doesn't have access to me anymore. Oh, I've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. I've been delivered from the power of darkness. You know, there are so many people who are oppressed by darkness. They have spiritual darkness just around them and enveloping them and influencing them. But we can walk in the light as he is in the light. Oh, we're delivered from the power of darkness. Oh, there's more, but let me go to my last one. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. The book of 1 Peter chapter number 2. There are many things that accompany salvation. Oh, isn't it encouraging just to think? I'd rather think on this list than think about all the negatives and the prohibitions and all the things that people are saying wrong with Christianity. This list lets me know, man, I'm on the right track. I'm on the winning side. I'd rather have this list than worry about all the other lists that people come up with. Things that accompany salvation. You know, some people make Christianity such an awful thing. Well, if you're a Christian, you don't do this anymore. And you can't do this. And you can't do this. And look, you can't wear this. And you can't say this. And you can't whatever else. And they like to put out all the things that we supposedly can't. But let me tell you, we have a lot more freedom and we have a lot more benefits to be with God. Let me tell you, when you became a Christian, you didn't lose out on anything. You gained a whole lot more than you lost. Things that accompany salvation. And to that point, notice with me in the book of 1 Peter chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2. And notice with me in verse number 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9. Notice what the Bible says. But ye are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. 
unholy nation, a peculiar people, that ye shall show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Notice this. What are the things that accompany salvation? We are a chosen generation, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Oh, what a wonderful thing. We are a chosen generation. God chose us. We're accepted of him. Notice this. We're a royal priesthood. We're part of the royal family, but we also get to go to God. The Bible talks about the millennial kingdom, by the way. The two jobs that are open to us who are faithful to God is priests and kings. We're going to be working with God in the millennial kingdom. And God has chosen us, has put us there. We have a royal priesthood. We could talk to God now. A holy nation. Notice this, a peculiar people. Now people get scared of the word peculiar. They have the idea that the word peculiar means that you're cross-eyed and buck-tooth and crazy looking. That's not what it means. The word peculiar is like if you drew a circle and you put a dot in the middle of that circle, that circle, that dot is peculiar to that circle, meaning it belongs wholly and solely to that circle. When God made us a peculiar people, he made us a people that he doesn't share with anyone else. We are solely separated and unique to him. We are his peculiar people. We belong Directly to God. Aren't you glad that God doesn't allow us to be loaned out to any of the principalities and powers? We're his and his alone. We're peculiar. He keeps us as something precious. Because of what Jesus Christ has done. We are his chosen people. A peculiar people. A people that is special to him. No wonder it says that we should show forth the praises of him. Who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When we think about all the things that accompany salvation. What is our response? I mean it's nice to hear all these things. But what should our response be? That we should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We should be bragging on God. One of the reasons why some people don't want to become Christians is because they have in mind they have to give up so much. But if we bragged on God and said, let me tell you all the things that I gained when I became a Christian. It would certainly give some people something to think about, wouldn't it? Instead of moping around, I have to go to church. I guess I'll get ready to go. Why would someone want to go to a church like that? I guess I'll listen to preaching today. I'll show up and listen. Well, if you're not excited, why should someone else be excited? If you're not happy you're going to heaven, why should someone else be glad want to go to heaven? We've gotten so much from our God and Savior. We should show forth his praises. Let me tell you what God has done for me. He has done so much. And let me tell you, he's done more than what you think. This list is not complete. I cannot go on for day after day after day in this message. I have to end it sometime. But this is just some highlights. These are just some things. A quick, easy find of things that we get. When we get salvation, things that accompany salvation, isn't it better to think about this list than 
to think about all the prohibitions and all the things and all the clauses and all the whatever else that people want to put in. I'd rather spend my time thinking about all that God has done for me than thinking about all the things that have been lost. I didn't lose anything when I became a Christian, but I gained so much. Now, perhaps there's someone listening who doesn't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. As we've gone through this list, this is a foreign list to you. You say, this isn't true of me. Well, let me tell you, dear friend, the greatest thing that could happen is for you to get it settled. I would love to take the Bible and show you from the Bible how you can know for sure that you are saved and that you have this as part of your life. And those who are saved, maybe you just make a determination that you're going to brag on God just a little bit more. That you're going to tell other people who like to be the Debbie Downers and like to be, find all the bad things and find all the clouds instead of the silver lining. Why don't you tell them all the wonderful things that you got when you got saved? Let them know that it is wonderful to be saved. It's not a drag. It's not a hindrance. It's not something that you have to do. It's not the ball and chain. We've got so much liberty and benefits because of what Christ has done for us. Maybe you've just been in a funk lately and you've been in a place where you can't look past all the horrible things that are in your life. Maybe perhaps you need to have a change of mind and see all the great benefits that you got. The things that accompany salvation. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.